What is up, y'all? Welcome to the Beyond the Blocks podcast. Today we have a very special guest, Maggie Werba. She was a 20, was it 2016? Yep. Olympic trials qualifier. So welcome, Maggie. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for having me. We're so excited to hear about your journey, Maggie. Um, re- re- we're obviously in Olympics right now and just had Olympic trials last month. So um, tell us a little bit about your swimming journey, what it was like. Yeah. So, well, first of all, watching the Olympics right now is like kind of bittersweet. Cause you know, when I was like 12, I was like, yeah, I'm going to swim in the Olympics. And clearly that's not happening right now, but <laughs> I still am very proud of my journey. Um, so yeah, I started swimming when I was seven years old back home, which was Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And I actually swam cause my cousins swam and I really wanted to be like them when I grew up. Um, and I had literally, in my opinion, he was like the best coach in the world. He ended up being like a second dad to me. I saw him more than my own dad as I ended up getting older and swimming more than I was at home. Um, but I did, I guess like stereotypical seven to 10 years old, like played basketball and soccer and swam and ran and like tried dance for like a week and hated it. So quit that. Um, like a true swimmer. Yeah. It was dancer and swimmer not the same unless you're Mm. like synchronized swimming. (laughs) Um, but then when I was 12, I decided that I wanted to like be good at swimming. And so I quit all other sports and then like started going to practice every day and just like really decided that swimming was like my purpose and kind of like what made me feel fulfilled. And I really enjoyed pushing myself and yeah. So pretty much starting in seventh grade is when I started doing morning practices and, um, my dad would never wake me up. It was my responsibility if I wanted Ooh. to go to practice to wake up my, my dad. mom would throw yeah. water on my face if I wasn't up. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, I mean, he was like, if you want to go to morning practice, you wake up for morning practice and you mm-hmm. wake me up to take you. So that definitely like taught me to take responsibility for my own sport and my own goals, which I think really like served me well in the future. Um, and also just like served me well to make the decision to be done because I wasn't doing it for anyone else ever. It was always my thing. My mom, um, can like float on her back, but that's about it. So even just like being able to swim was kind of a big deal because my mom almost drowned as a child. It was like a big thing, like... (laughs) So yeah, so water safety in and of itself was a big deal to me. And then, yeah, just kind of entering high school, I wasn't necessarily ever like the best. Like I never, my coach just like rubbed this in my face when I went home a few weeks ago, but he was like, yeah, Maggie never won anything ever until literally my last race of the last day of nationals, my senior year of high school. And I won the 200 IM. And I literally had, like, I hadn't won state. I never, like, won sectionals. I never won anything ever until it, like, mattered the most. Um, But, yeah, so basically gave up a lot for swimming. But I always, like, I wanted to do that. And my family was really supportive of it. Um, Like, I didn't go to Friday night football games in high school because I was like, I'd rather make the Olympic trials and, go D1 and swimming on a scholarship. Those were kind of my two big goals as a kid. Um, And I made that happen. So it definitely all like paid off in the end. And then I swam for the University of Minnesota my freshman, sophomore, and junior year, and then ended up leaving the sport a year early. 
at the end of my junior year, I, so now that Simone Manuel has come out with talking about overtraining syndrome, I believe that I had that. The doctors at the time said that I was training through influenza and it gave me viral arthritis and that's why I was in pain every day. And, um, like, that's not really a thing. Like when you Google it, like, of course I trust my doctors, but also like viral arthritis. That's not not a thing. Yeah. So like looking back, I truly think it was overtraining syndrome because I trained for an extra six weeks at the end of the season than what the original plan was. And then I was going to have to take six months off of swimming to like get rid of this arthritis. And obviously like when you've been doing something for 14 years, you can't just like take six months off to like compete for three months your senior year. So yeah. So then I ended my swimming career and I didn't know my last meet was going to be my last meet. Um, But now I'm on this kind of path of like finding my purpose for life after sport and kind of like helping other people do that too. Yeah. That's so we're so excited you're here. That's, I mean, I felt like I had overtraining syndrome too, and nobody thought I had it at the time. They're like, oh, you're just complaining about it. Like you always do. And I'm like, well, yeah, I complain about swimming, but like, this is like, I feel like there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And um, like, it could have been, I don't know. I don't, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's like an actual clinical test to like, draw that out is there no it's no. just like all symptoms and it's like okay yep check in the box on all of those <laughs> right yeah I was looking too and like the only cure is for us like you were saying like it would take six months to recover and that's especially going through COVID last year just like taking time off not being able to swim is so frustrating so I definitely feel for you guys like how difficult that is mm-hmm. yeah oh my gosh yeah, yeah overturning syndrome is crazy. We learn about it in school, like, but they only touch on it briefly. And it's like, this needs to be discussed more, especially in sports psych, especially like in so many like coaching curriculums. Like actually, literally right now as we're speaking, I should be taking the NCAA coaches assistant coach test thing, whatever you call that. Mm-hmm. And they literally barely touch on like any of the stuff like that. Like they had one section on mental health which is basically like, hey, if your athlete is experiencing mental health, go to your athletic department's like AD and it's like, or call 911 and it's like, boom, the end. And it's like, okay, that was very helpful. And like all the stuff, they just tell them to like, don't smoke, don't drink, don't be dumb. But that's all it like kind of covers. And it's just like, well, let's cover overtraining syndrome. Like you might be a good coach. You might actually care, but like overtraining can happen to anybody. So it's like, how do you work through that? And because I feel like it's kind of understudied. I would love to do my thesis on that, but who knows how to do a thesis on overtraining syndrome in swimmers. But. Well, especially like when you're in college, like by the time you're in D1 sports, you know your body and like, you know, like Michaela Skinner was just talking about this with her gymnastics, but it's like, you're at the age when you're like 20, 21, 22, you know, how you used to feel and like, you know, what you need to train. And like, yes, it's nice to have like teammates and coaches that push you beyond your own limits, but also like there's a difference between pushing your limits and like breaking yourself down. And only, you know, when you've crossed that line and coaches need to learn how to like trust their athletes. Yes. And say I it like louder. The people in the back <laughs> say it louder. There's so many like coaches and like, I've had, 
I have had a ton of amazing coaches and some who were not so great. And all my college coaches were awesome. And, but they, some of them just like, and other coaches too, just like, don't understand. Like you might get a girl who has never swam club before, which is a whole different world than high school swimming, which is great. If you make it to college without club swimming, that's freaking amazing. Yeah, whoa. <laughs> but like more power to you because you probably haven't been absolutely stripped of every part of your being just for the sport yet. I mean, you have, I don't know, but like, I've noticed that in like the club swimmers will usually burn out way quicker than those who have like only had high school careers, which I'm like, I know a couple of my friends were in that case and I'm like, I wish like I could have been that fast without club swimming. And I feel like you have extra years added on to you. I don't know. Like, but you just haven't been through like the hell club swimming can put you through. And then you get into college and it's like even more intense, especially at the D one level. And it's like, whoa, like I've already kind of felt overtrained. And now like here we are in college athletics and I'm expected to go like 55s in practice on the average or something. Yeah. It's like, like okay. performing constantly. That was like the biggest difference for me was like growing up. Well, okay. So like, like I said, like I never won anything. And like, I had swimmers on my team that were faster than me that were older than me. But like once they all graduated, then I was the fastest on the team. So intervals in like growing up weren't that hard necessarily. Mm -hmm. So I just got to like swim hard and kind of like train myself as hard as I needed to. But then in college, it was like perform every single day, because if you suck at this practice, you're not traveling that weekend for the meet. And like, I could not handle that pressure, but it's also not something you're prepared for at all. Whether if you're just doing high school, especially, or if you're doing club and swimming year round, it's, I don't think anyone like in high school, in middle school, you're not expected to like perform every single day and like impress coaches every single day. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's definitely a hard transition. And then the transition outside, like after college, I feel like you're also not prepared for at all. Nope. I had no idea what was happening. Like you, I didn't know my last meet would have been my last meet. I was like a random club meet. And they asked some of the varsity swimmers who like they knew weren't like the top dogs um, to come to this meet in Georgia. And I was like, oh, that sounds fun because I swim terrible at RMAX. Maybe I can redeem myself. And this was like two weeks after taper. So like the time where like you probably wouldn't swim fast, but I thought it would be fun. And I had this weird feeling. I was like, maybe it'll be my last race. I don't know. And I begged my mom to come watch. Mm-hmm. Didn't come, but I was like, whatever. I get to see some of my friends and it'll be f- just a fun meet. And then, mm-hmm. um, we were, that was also kind of the end of the semester when you have your coaches meetings and I was already kind of feeling it. Like this was the end of my sophomore year of college. And I, my sophomore year of college was horrible. I was my absolute lowest mentally. Like I had horrible depression and anxiety. Not that I don't have that now, but like my depression was at an all time low then. And it was, oh my gosh, it was horrible then. And then I decided to go to this meet because I thought I would redeem myself. And then um, ended up swimming a 101 free. And that's when I knew, like, I was done. Like, I just knew in my body. I was like, I can't do this anymore. My body is just done. I had 17, 18 years of my life to this. Like, and then I was like, okay. And then had a meeting. I was like, I can't do this anymore. And here we are. And, like, nobody, like, prepared me for, like, what was after swimming and like I stayed at the university because I loved it but um and still had my friends still had like they're still my friends but it was like not the same 
And it's like, you, I just got like dropped into that. And it's like, what do I do? Like, obviously I'm going to graduate college, but like, I don't have like swimming behind me. Like that's been my whole, like almost identity for like 18 freaking years. Like now what? So when, um, so you, Maggie, you were saying like Simone Manuel came out with like overtraining syndrome. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so interesting how like elite athletes like Michael Phelps, he came, like he opened up about having depression. Like, I feel like we're learning did you guys know what you had? Like over, did you know it was called overtraining syndrome or did you just kind of realize like something was off? Like, did you have a name for it or? Yeah. I mean, at the time I definitely didn't have a name for it. So my, there was a lot that like went into my college journey. I developed an eating disorder my freshman year. My grandma died. And then two weeks later, my cousin passed away from an asthma attack. This was all my freshman year. And like a ton of just awful things happened to people that I loved. And so I like kind of just went into, I was never diagnosed with depression. I just have generalized anxiety. Um, I don't want to say just, but I have generalized anxiety and that got like really, really bad then too. And so freshman year was basically a crapshoot. And then, and like I had this eating disorder and I lost like 20 pounds and it was really bad. And my coaches were like, if you lose any more weight, you don't get to compete at trials. So I like didn't, I was like, okay, well, shoot, now I need to not lose weight. Um, but then I eventually went to like treatment and recovered and was going best times again by sophomore year. And then by junior year, I was just like completely burnt out. And so at the time, I think it was like, I thought it was like stress and like I blame myself for a lot of stuff. So I thought I was just like weak and like weaker than everyone else. And like the coaches, um, cause we do doubles every day at Minnesota and they let me not do Friday morning practices because I, I clearly I was showing symptoms of overtraining if they let me not do Friday morning practices. Um, but I just, yeah, I thought I was weaker than everyone else and I couldn't like lift as much as them and all this stuff. But now, yeah, looking back, it's like, well, clearly it's not like a, I'm weak. <laughs> it was just like the circumstances. And I don't think there was a name for it at the time. I just felt like a failure at the time, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. And like, they don't teach us this stuff. Like, I feel like they should, like, we should know more about this to like elite athletes are pretty much raising awareness about all of this. And if you kind of knew what you were like, had a name for you would be able to like take care of it and like prioritize your mental health. So I think mm. that's um, something they that definitely needs to happen in this sport and like all other sports is just raising awareness of stuff like overtraining syndrome and anxiety and depression and athletes will be much better off, I think. Definitely. And unfortunately at the end of the day, the NCAA is a business and I think they're technically a not-for-profit, but um, like we all know that's not true. So (laughs) as much as you like to think that they care about you as a whole person, um, actions speak louder than words. And I just think that like, if you stop going best times, you're not gonna be valued as high as you would be if you were scoring points for the team at your conference championships. So yeah, that's, that's what I have to say. I totally agree. Like, (laughs) like if you're not scoring points, you're not making the money. Like that's what they think. So it's just like, maybe if you people like more prioritize their mental health and like nutrition too. Like, I mean, I'm a freaking exercise science major. That's my master's degree. 
but like I nutrition is my weakest subject. And like, even growing up and swimming, like I had no idea what I was putting in my body. People were just feeding me. I just ate whatever I want, including freaking Whataburger all the time. But the thing is like in high school, I could eat a freaking cheeseburger and bust out a 24, 25, 50 free. But now I even think about a pizza and I like gain a hundred pounds. So it's like, I feel like nutrition has a whole huge aspect into it, which is something that like we're not properly taught. At least I was never properly taught nutrition where some, some people definitely were, but I feel like that would have like a whole nother, I, mean, I think it would help with mental health, but yeah, just learning to prioritize it. It's really tricky too, because so like, like I said, when I was 12, I decided I wanted to be good. So like probably starting freshman year of high school, I had like, my puberty was also like delayed and I just, I'm a weird human. I'm a medical person's dream of a test subject, but I like just constantly, I had to like add protein to ice cream shakes to like not lose weight as I like had my growth spurt in high school. And, but I ate very healthfully. My mom somehow, I don't know how she's a professor and like raised me and my sister with my dad and also still like cooked dinner every night and I'm here like not even able to cook dinner every night and I'm just raising a dog and working oh, I don't know how <laughs> she did it but she always made us really nutritious meals and I definitely took my nutrition seriously in high school and I definitely got made fun of for it like because I wouldn't eat dessert every day I basically allowed myself like one dessert a week type of thing um quote unquote on dessert because dessert can kind of mean different things. Um, but it was like fine. And I had a healthy relationship with food in high school. And then it actually was my nutrition course. My freshman year of high school talked about like under eating in Eastern cultures and how they like live longer because they under eat. And in my brain, just think like, okay, first of all, I wasn't swimming well. And then my grandma died and then my cousin died. And then my nutrition teacher was like, eat less and you live longer. So my brain like circuited and was like, starve yourself. (laughs) And then, so that was really bad. And so it's kind of like, yes, we need to teach athletes nutrition, but I remember we were on the bus at big tens and Caleb Dressel had just posted, like, I don't know, like he had a bag of M&Ms or something like that. And it was like, if you're spending so much energy stressing about eating perfectly, that's way more detrimental than having some M&Ms like when you want them. And I feel like that truthfully for me is like, was a catalyst for healing from my eating disorder because like, yes, we do need to eat to fuel, but also we're swimming so much that like you, at some point you just need to be eating enough, like Yes, it needs to be nutritious, nutritious and fueling foods, but also like you just need calories. And um, I don't know if you guys watch Kelty O'Connor at all. She's like a Canadian on YouTube, but she does all these challenges and she just did like Michael Phelps's like 12,000 calories a day thing. Um, And he was just talking about in his, when he did that video, you know, after like two, after 2008, that at that point, he was just trying to not lose weight. So he put a ton of butter and syrup on his pancakes because he needed to eat enough while also training like all day long. And if he was just eating like chicken and rice and veggies, he wouldn't have had the fuel he needed to train the way he needed to. So 
it's kind of, you know, like very nuanced. And I think we just especially have to be careful because I feel like being a freshman in college, you're really vulnerable. Even like the stigma with like the freshman 15. Oh and God. like, I, I definitely struggled with thinking I didn't look like other girls that weren't athletes. I was like, why can't I just like be curvy and like not have man shoulders. And that's like when you're a freshman girl trying to like fit in, that's a pretty mm-hmm. big like stressor to put on yourself when I should have been focusing on fueling to succeed. And so it's kind of, yeah, it's a lot of yeah. like different things. <laughs> wow. Maggie, you're such an inspiration. I was looking at your Instagram account literally, I think an hour ago and I made some muffins. <laughs> like you just make me want to bake now. Like that's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Really like at the end of the day, food, all food is fuel. That's kind of like the message I try to show on my Instagram because after I only had my eating disorder for a year. Um, and then like kind of had more like food rules after, after stopping swimming, I'd say it wasn't a full on eating disorder, but like, like we were talking about, like after you're done swimming, it's like, what is life? Like, what is being a normal human? What's eating? Mm -hmm. What's working out? Had no idea. So definitely like freaked out a little bit there, but even that one year of like fearing food now I'm like, nope, like all food is fuel. If I crave it, I'm going to give it to my body. Um, and just like spreading joy and love through baking, because that's what my mom and dad did for us as kids. And like, I don't know, food is so important in cultures and like in books, when you read about like sharing food, breaking bread as communion, as bringing people together, like food just has the power to bring people together. And I am sick of food rules and diet culture. And yes. Say louder in the back. Yes. Yes. That's like, I mean, like I said, I'm not a nutritionist. Nutrition is like my weakest subject, but I'm so against like diets. Like keto will work for you. You can cut out all carbs, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, well, like everyone's body is different, especially in women. When we're talking about like the female athlete triad or like how women develop, like we're all different. We all have different body types and like while keto might work for one person and one body type, that specific person, it might not work for another person. So it's really just like figuring out what works for you while following like good guidelines. But also, like you said, like diet culture, just, oh my gosh. Yeah, I just need to go off, with, off the rails. And like, I've heard like some people who are like supermodels are like freaking like eating napkins or like a slice of ham a day. And I'm like, what the heck is this? This is not healthy. And I'm like, oh my God, we've just gone off the rails. Yeah. And I feel like we didn't, I mean, I guess I probably got an Instagram when I was 13 or 14, but now kids are like eight and have Instagram. And I just feel like the generations are under more and more like comparison and pressure and diet culture's influence has grown so much more compared to when we were in middle school Mm -hmm. and high school, like it's bad enough to compare yourself to everyone you're in school with and like at swim meets with, but now you also have to compare yourself to everyone on the internet yeah, and that's... on TikTok. Like <laughs> it's just, it can't be good for the younger generation. And I do have a few like younger swimmers that um, kind of, I could almost tell, like once you have an eating disorder, you can tell when mm-hmm. other people are developing an eating disorder. It's just kind of one of those things. 
Um, and there were a few like of my virtual friends from the Instagram community that kind of, they reached out and they were like, I'm so glad I found your account because I like started making these food rules, but I realized like, I can't be my best and like eat like a supermodel. Like, yeah, supermodels don't swim 12,000 yards a day. Yeah, no. <laughs> more than Ducks. that. And yeah. that's, I just want the younger generation, everyone to know, like, just eat, just eat and eat. And if you're hungry, eat, like, don't worry about it. Unless your doctor, even healthcare is also like biased against fat people. So, I mean, yes, if your doctor says you need to like not gain weight for health reasons, like listen to your doctor, of course. But if you're hungry, eat, like, especially when you're in middle and high school, like you're growing, your brain needs it, your body needs it. Yeah, there's this thing, I don't know if you know intuitive eating, but that's definitely helped me a lot, especially in retirement, just like eating when I'm hungry. And I probably ate like five, six times a day, like swimming in college, but now it's so different. Like I get to decide when I work out, when I don't. And like just intuitive eating has helped me so much, like going forward in retirement. I don't know if you guys have, have tried that, but it's really helped me. Yeah, that's like the, like what I have to do now. Cause I... I'm very, well, like I said, I'm a medical professional's dream. I have all this crap going on and I'm also lactose intolerant. I'm also allergic to coconut and apples. Um, but I also, they want me to cut out gluten as of like four days ago. And so I have to be like really careful because the instant I like cut out a food that can become really restrictive and it's really hard to intuitively eat when, like, I wanted a bagel this morning. I couldn't have a bagel because then it might flare my endometriosis and we don't want that. Oh, so intuitive eating besides like, like, so for me, it's really hard because like, I want to listen to my body, but I also have allergies. And sometimes I'm like, screw the allergies. I'm eating something with coconut because I want it. And then I'm covered in hives and I regret it. So like not recommending that, you know, but intuitive eating in and of itself is definitely kind of like the only way that I feel like I have a healthy relationship with food, but it's really about learning, like learning to trust your body. Because I feel like, I think that's maybe what like wrecked me in college sports was I trusted my body and myself and everyone around me growing up. And then in college, it was like, you're not fast enough. You're not swimming enough and you're hungry, but now you're not eating enough. And then it's like your body hurts, but you still need to practice two to three times today, even though your shoulder is falling off and your hand is numb <laughs> every time you swim that might have been, you know, a sign of something going wrong. Maybe. <laughs> um, but you're just basically taught to not trust yourself anymore. And so it's really hard to get that trust back. Um, I've actually found a lot of help in, I don't know if you guys follow fueling former athletes. We do. Yeah. yeah. They're so good. <laughs> and just like her infographics and her information has helped me a ton in just continuing to like find that intuition and that trust in myself in life after, after athletics. So quick plug to Katie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely think, oh my gosh. Yeah. Everything you said is like spot on. Like I feel like my, when I was overtrained, like I was just in my club, I'll never forget this day. Um, I also lost track of time, but it was like 
over Christmas, of course, when, and when I explain Christmas training to non-swimmers, they're like, oh, you're just swimming. I'm like, no, like if you're not wanting to literally kill yourself at the end of the day, you're not doing it right. And I remember this one practice. I lost track of time. I thought it was a two hour practice. It was a three hour practice. I'm not kidding. The girls, like my senior group, I think we hit 12 or 13 in one session. I'm going to come back later that night. And I was like, why we're, how old was I at the time? Like 16 years old. Why are you making 16 year old girls go 12 K 13 K in one session? Like I was just like, what are we doing? And then like, they tried to teach us about nutrition. They're like, go home and eat some apples and peanut butter and then come back. I'm like, okay, bud, like that's not going to help us when you just slaughter us with another 10 K set. But just like, I I definitely, lived I added Nutella and peanut butter to bread to like you know like quick digest but get in like so many calories oh such a picky eater too like that doesn't help me it's like I've always been a picky eater like it's bad I'm getting a little better as I get older but like when I was like 16 like I literally wouldn't even eat freaking peanut butter on apples like I can eat the peanut butter separately and the apples separately but not put them together and like I've never heard of that being a picky eater does not help when you're in the situation but like I feel like like you were saying with like the younger generation seeing all this stuff like having like a proper guidance at that age is so vital especially as they get older and if they're like thinking about college athletics at all like should probably have a good grasp on nutrition which will also come in handy when you retire something I never really had um but I'm just like oh my gosh like these 16 year old girls need to like see like oh you don't have to go eat a freaking napkin today like you can eat something you're going 20k plus yards like a day like you need to be feeling your body properly Mm -hmm. and also like in college you're in a dining hall and you see what everyone else eats and they see what you eat (laughs) yeah it was like that I think too was a factor for me because I saw girls eating like applesauce after practice and I was like oh well they're really fast and if they're only eating applesauce then I should only eat applesauce but like they're also a very different body type than me and Mm -hmm. might have better energy levels at a different weight than I do and like I think going into college, you need to have the confidence in yourself to not compare yourself to other people because like every single swimmer has a different body type. First of all, like if you just lined up the swimmers, even like for the same event, if you lined up every top 2,200 breaststroker in the country, they would all have different body types. And so they don't all need to eat the same. And yeah, I think it's, like another thing was like coaches when they're like, you don't get to eat the cookies. We're, we're taking all the cookies out of your sandwich boxes at meets and you don't get to eat them. It's like, again, we're 20 years old. Like, let us make the decision. If I'm hungry, I probably should eat half a cookie instead of going to practice hungry. Like that was me. I was the one eating the cookie before practice, (laughs) but it's also like, it's good it's carbs and it's fat which is long lasting energy i don't see anything wrong with eating a cookie before practice this is kind of a crazy story but i would would always eat like reese's peanut butter cups like right before like i'm diving in like before my race like before relays i would like eat like a reese's peanut butter cup and like some of my best races were right Mm -hmm. after i ate a reese's peanut butter cup so because you were probably happy yeah and like that's more important 
Plus, mm-hmm. again, quick energy. Yeah, I definitely lived off of puppy chow at swim meets. Oh, the puppy I was in, like, chow. Middle oh, gosh. It sounds so good right now. Like, fruit snacks, you know, because I was, like, mm-hmm. still sugar, but, like, not chocolate. Chocolate kind of, like, is acidic, so it kind of hurt my stomach. But if it didn't hurt my stomach, then there would have been no problem with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just think there's no one way to do things. And society makes us think that there is one right way. And I hate that. Exactly. It's especially like you said, like with the internet on eight-year-old phones, like they'll see all this and it's like, what do we believe? How do we decipher this? You're freaking like super young and you're seeing all these influencers and all these athletes that you want to be just doing whatever they want. And it's like, well, they might be at the elite level. Like you're doing the same thing and you just have a couple of different steps to do than they do or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Will and Maggie, thank you so much for coming on our podcast today. And for those of you listening, make sure to follow her on Instagram at Maggie Bakes Grace. And be sure to follow our Instagram at Beyond the Blocks. And make sure to join our Facebook group. We'll see you all next time.